Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin by reading verses 9 through 17. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So last week we pretty well just focused on verses 9 through 11, although we touched on, I think, verses 12 and read verse 13. But the, the bottom line is if we'll walk in the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, you're going to naturally know what is acceptable unto the Lord as you walk in the Spirit. Um, if you do that, verse 11 will take care of itself as far as who you fellowship uh, with. I should say what kind of actions you partake in to be more accurate. As a reminder, verse 11 is not telling us to avoid sinners. It is just telling us not to partake of the sin, have no fellowship with it. We ought to all have some kind of a pagan, an unbeliever that we rub shoulders with every day in hopes of winning them to the Lord. If you would just imagine if all of us in here would carry the message tonight to three or four or five people how, much, how many more people are we reaching from one service because you're out there fellowshipping um, with those who need the Lord? So don't take that verse to mean that you can't talk with those who are in sin. They need us, as we're going to see a little bit more tonight. But take it to mean that you don't partake with their sin. We don't go where they go. We don't do what they do. We don't talk how they talk. But um, certainly they need to hear from us. And so we can be a friend of sinners without partaking of the sin. As Jesus, we saw last week, he was a friend of sinners, but he was also called the Holy One of God. And so we can maintain a holy lifestyle, but still be friends of sinners. And that's the example the Lord gave us. And in verse 12, there are things which aren't even decent or proper to mention as believers. It's called a shame to even speak of sinfulness done in secret because we don't even want those things to enter our minds. Now, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, if I had to summarize what we've been covering so far in chapter 5, Paul is calling the church to purity. These verses that we've been considering here the last few weeks, we are hearing of things that we ought to avoid, ways we ought to live. We're to live holy and decent lives. because. And, and here's the reason why as a church, when we think about this epistle about the church, why it's important is because we don't want to hang our head in shame when we have to say we're members of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. We want to be above reproach. We don't want to have to um, not admit that this is where we attend. 
we don't want to be a church of fornicators. Unclean people, covetous people, nor do we want to be filthy in our conversation or talk foolish or turn conversations in the wrong direction because that's going to cause the outsiders to talk disparagingly about our church, which in turn really gets them to doubt the power of God that we say exists because we're not living a changed life. Um, so you're part of liberty. Isn't that where all the members sleep around? And, and listen, that's why Paul says it ought not to be named among you even once. Because you know this, the moment that it's named among you even once, the whole assembly is branded. And so we, don't, we, we want to live pure so that these things aren't said. And, you know, isn't that the church where I see the members down at the bar? Isn't that the church where the husbands beat their wives? Isn't that the church where that guy was arrested and you can name whatever sin you want to name? And so we need to be pure because actions that are, are sinful, that go against the holiness of God, and once they're made public, it brings shame and reproach upon the body of Christ. And I want our testimony in the community to be a good testimony, as, and that's what God wants. Um, we don't want to be a part of those who are evil spoken of. I don't care if we get accused of being pure. I don't care if we're accused of using the King James Bible. I don't care if we get accused of singing hymns or dressing a certain way. It'd be a privilege to be accused of trying to honor God too much. I'd rather have that. But let's not be that church in the community who's afraid of, um, of what people think of us because of some controversy that's brewing in here or has taken place some kind of sexual perversion or harboring of sinners who refuse to confess and get right with God. And I understand things come up, right? Um, we've already seen that since I've been pastor. Things do come up that have to be dealt with. We understand that, but I believe if we will handle them scripturally, it'll honor God and God will in turn honor us and, and we'll be able to get through that thing. Um, the, the key is to not sweep things under the rug. And so we gotta, we got to work for the glory of God. The community needs to know that there's something different here. Now, that means that we need to be compassionate to sinners. Amen. I'm not, against, uh, I'm not against homosexuals coming in here and sitting in the congregation. They need the gospel. I am against them propagating it. So there's, there's a balance there, but we need to be compassionate. Sinners need to be able to come in here and hear the gospel. They need to know there's something different, that they are welcome here. And, and by the way, you guys need to be prepared because there are groups out there that are doing this now that um, they'll ask you whether or not they're welcomed because they're looking for a lawsuit. And you need to say, yeah, you're welcome. We'd love to have you in our service. And it'll blow their mind. Um, and, and so, but, but that's how I feel about it anyway, so it's not lying. But we also, listen now, because I want you to get the balance, we also don't want to be a place that harbors sinful lifestyles within our membership of people who refuse to repent. That's the way God has, has orchestrated it. So we need to be holy so that the community knows we have a true relationship with the one true God. And in turn, hopefully they'll see that there's something that they need in their life 
as a result of our testimony. Now, verse 13, it's kind of a culmination of what we've been covering. We are told in verse 8 that we are to walk as children of light. And then in verse 11, that we are to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. Now look at verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. When the light is shined, what is happening in the dark is now revealed. Maybe you've walked into a room that was dark and you turned on the light and two people separated real fast. It's now being made manifest. It's being made known what's taking place. Um, So how do we successfully admonish the unfruitful works of darkness? It's by shining the light of Christ. That's how we, we reprove. That's how we bring it to light is by living our life in a way that brings honor to God. Our light is what reveals the sinfulness of a fallen world. And it's really the importance of clean living. You have to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Live a life that brings conviction upon those who are walking in darkness that you have a light that is shining to the point where there's almost a shame to speak a certain way in front of you. Have you been around people like that? I have. And uh, throughout my military career, I can remember as people learn where you stand on certain things, I never asked them to stop cussing in front of me, taking the Lord's name in vain, but all of a sudden they would say, oh, I'm sorry. And I would say, well, don't apologize to me. That's, you know, apologize to God, Amen. Um, what we're doing is we're making manifest something we didn't even really bring up. I've never told anybody how to live at work or how to speak or anything like that unless they ask me. Um, But there's something about shining a light that in their minds they realize, sorry, I, I know that you didn't want to hear that or whatever. And so just keep shining your light out there. It's what reveals the sinfulness. Um, let me borrow a Leonard Ravenhill quote. Have we no righteousness that reflects on their corruption? Have we no righteousness that reflects on their corruption? We ought to live clean enough that those who are corrupt can, can know it. And, and his point was the church has gotten to a place where we're no different than the world. And so do we even show anything different? For whatsoever makes manifest is light. Now, I got to be careful how far to take this, but understand that there are those who are in darkness and they don't even know they're in darkness. Many know, but some honestly don't know. They haven't been blessed to be raised how we have been raised, perhaps. Maybe they've never heard the gospel. Listen, it's now, we're now at that point in America where people have grown up and never seen a Bible. They've never held one. They've never opened it. They've never read the words. They, they don't know. And they're coming from one or two generations now that church was never a deal. They never darkened the door of a church. And so there's people out there, they've never heard the gospel. They've never been taught anything but what the world's opinion is of morality. That's dangerous. 
Because last I checked, there's schools now teaching transgenderism from grade school up. It's crazy what what they're teaching out there morality-wise. But for both categories of people, we need to shine as lights. For those who know they're in darkness and for those who are not yet convinced. It's our pure living which is to reprove them. Philippians 2.15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. (laughs) That's what we're to be. We're to be lights in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation. And by the way, in case there's anybody here who's thinking I'm trying to preach nothing but lifestyle evangelism, you still need to open your mouth. I mean, it's great if you, you know, you look a certain way, you act a certain way, but you got to tell people what it is that made you that way. And so we've still got to open our mouth and speak. Your talk is only, but we understand our talk is only as effective as our walk. Um, I might also add that sometimes you have to earn the right for people to listen to you. You have to live a life that has demonstrated righteousness before you have the credibility for them to want to even listen to what you have to say. Because there's a lot of voices coming at them. And so what's going to make yours uh, different than the other group? And so we have to live a certain way where they want to listen. Um, Sometimes, and, and I'm sure some of you have experienced this as I have, sometimes there are those that will come to you that you don't even really talk with. Maybe they work across the hall. Like in my case, it would be base operations. It's always across the street, from, across the hall from the weather flight. And uh, somebody will come over to you and say, hey, um, can you pray for me? I don't really talk to that person. But what happened was, listen, because I want you to get this, is when people begin to find out you're a believer, they're watching you. They want, they want to know whether they put it in these words or not. They want to know if this thing is real. And as they watch your life and you build credibility, when their hour of need comes, they're going to seek you out. That's just the way God has orchestrated it. And so they'll come to you uh, because they have been observing you. Walk as children of light. So how are you doing at that tonight? Are you walking as children of light? Is the darkness that is around you in your workplace, is it being exposed because you're shining the light of Christ brightly? Well, if not, then verse 14 might be for you, depending on how we interpret this verse. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So there's debate on exactly who is being addressed here in this verse. Is it the lost or is it the believer? And what kind of complicates the matter is he's quoting something, wherefore he saith, and yet it's not a direct quote of any Old Testament passage. It's more of an adaptation probably of of some passages that are there. But uh, it's not an exact quote. So it's hard to know exactly what the Apostle Paul was referencing here. Um, In addition, depending on context, sleep can mean a dead state or a state of indifference that we have to be shaken out of. Awake can mean salvation or it can mean being stirred out of that inactive state. But it does say arise from the dead. It seems to be connecting sleep with dead 
which seems to imply lost. And I wouldn't argue that if anybody has that opinion. So this could be telling us that if we shine our lights, then those who are dead in their sins can be saved and can be given the light of Christ as we have because our light has reproved them to the point that they are now seeking Christ. Wherefore, it starts off, wherefore. So some, some say it this way, like Christ, had, like Christ did in preaching repentance and living in holiness, he was able to see sinners saved because he was doing what is being taught here. And, and so uh, wherefore as he did that, if we'll live a certain way, then the dead can be raised to life. They can wake up from their dead sinfulness, go to Christ, and receive the light of Christ and be saved. However, I also see where the case can be made contextually for this to be an admonition to the believer. Those who are not letting their light shine. Uh, can a dead man raise himself up? That would be the question on this side of the argument because it's telling the dead man to arise up. And so some kind of look at that and say, well, no, it's talking to the believer. And so does it make more sense to understand this as one um, who, who is alive but is, but is living in a dead state, if I can put it that way? Uh, perhaps it's someone who is, is living in this, this state of deadness in the sense that they are no longer reproving the unfruitful works of darkness, either because of indifference or be, because they've just conformed themselves to the world to the point that there's no longer a difference and they don't want to open their mouth because deep down they know it'll bring shame to Christ because they're not living the right way. And so it, it could be talking to those who need to be shaken out of their dead state that they will get back to work and, and reprove the works of darkness. And, and the reason this interpretation is compelling to me is because of Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in chambering and wantonness, nor in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so that's saying, wake up, wake up out of your sleep, cast off those unfruitful works of darkness and take upon you the armor of light. And so I can see where that, that could certainly be the case. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. Why? Because some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak that to your shame. And so we got to wake up. we got to get out of the dead state, and we got to be willing to tell people about Jesus Christ, live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that they can see our righteousness, and they can understand that something has happened to us greater than us. And so uh, Ephesians 5.14, is it a call to sinners or is it a call to saints? Well, I see room for each interpretation. Some of you are smarter than me, you can tell me. But I'm not dogmatic either way at this point. So I'm going to leave it where Matthew Henry left it. This is what he said. <laughs> Some indeed understand this as a call to sinners and to saints. 
to sinners to repent and turn, to saints to stir up themselves to their duty. The former must arise out of their spiritual death, and the latter must awake from their spiritual deadness. Let's move on to verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so this is continuing on how important our walk is in the world, how important our life is. In order to maintain purity, in order to keep walking as children of light, in order to keep reproving the unfruitful works of darkness, we have to walk circumspectly. We have to walk straightly is what it's telling us exactly. We have to walk in a way where we don't veer to the left and we don't veer to the right. I remember years ago, Ed Betts gave an illustration from this verse and he said this, picture a cat walking on a fence and on each side of the fence, there's Doberman pinchers jumping up trying to get the cat. You don't want to veer. You just want to keep walking straight. And so it's telling us walk circumspectly. Don't get caught up in the sins. Just, you just stay the course. Stay with it. How can, we, how can we reprove others if we aren't walking circumspectly? It's hard to reprove others when our lives don't ref, reflect a life hid with Christ in God. We need a testimony of godliness to be effective. If we don't have the right kind of testimony, how does that preach to people? I've shared with you before the, my first assignment. A guy looked at me after I worked with him for, I don't know, six months. Well, I didn't know you were a Christian. Well, that's convicting. It's hard to convince someone to attend your church if your church hasn't done anything for you. It's hard to convince someone of their need for God when God has seemingly done nothing for you. And isn't it interesting how the lost world, they don't care about the things of God until you mention it. Then all of a sudden, they know how you ought to be living. They didn't care before. They didn't care what you did on the weekends. Amen. They didn't care where you went, who you were with, what you said, what you were listening to, what you were doing. They didn't care. But all of a sudden, you mention the Savior, you start professing Christ, and now all of a sudden, they know what holiness looks like and what unholiness looks like, what clean looks like and unclean. And all of a sudden, it starts getting convicting if we're not living right. And it's bad when the world has to reprove the church because we're not walking circumspectly. Verse 15 is telling us that if we're not walking circumspectly, then we are walking as fools. And if we're walking circumspectly, we're walking as wise. As God was giving the law to Moses, he interjects in there in Exodus twenty-three, thirteen, and in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect in all things. And in other words, in all matters of God's Word, we need to walk as straight as we can. As straight as we can. We need to be circumspect. Um, that's wisdom. That's where wisdom is. After Moses was Joshua, and before Joshua passed, 
he gave this charge to Israel in Joshua 22, 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And so the charge was given uh, before Joshua passed. You need to walk with God. You need to stay in the commandments. You need to walk with the Lord. Paul said in, in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation or your lifestyle, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your life ought to reflect the gospel. To walk circumspectly means that you are mindful of your testimony. Now, I'm, a, I'm big into saying I don't care what others think, and that's true for the most part, but when it comes to my testimony, I do care. You've got to be mindful of your testimony in the eyes of the world. Those who walk circumspectly, they guard their testimony. That means you're not leaving yourself alone with the opposite sex. That means that you don't lose your temper. That means that you don't partake of the office sinfulness. Be wise. Walk circumspectly. Be wise about how you conduct yourself. Because the world's watching. In verse 16, we see what a wise child of God does as they walk circumspectly. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word time is so interesting, and the subject of time is very interesting. Brother Brock, a couple, three, four years, I can't remember when he did the uh, watch night service message, and he preached on time. And great message, brother. And it's such an interesting topic to me, time. With the exception of those who have died today, and the exception of those who are yet to die today, we all have been given 24 hours today. And it's just interesting to think about that we've all been given the same amount of time. What, what's different is how we treat that time. That's what makes the difference. We all get 24 hours in a day to spend as we see fit. So how are you spending your time each day? I would tell you God has no problem with you working, amen? If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. God, has, God doesn't have a problem with you working. He's commanded us to labor six days and to rest one. It's good to spend time working. And, and in these days, they typically work from sun up to sundown. Um, longer hours than we typically work. But what you do with the time you have when you're not working is what's going to make the difference in your life. In our society, a full-time job starts at 40 hours a week broken into five, eight-hour days primarily. Now, many of us work more than 40 hours a week. So let's say you work 50 hours a week just for easy. I like those numbers that start with a five and end with a zero or end with a five and end with a zero. Um, they're a lot easier. So on top of that, let's say you're able, <laughs> I emphasize able, to sleep eight hours per night. I don't hardly know anybody that's able to do that, but we're going to assume you're getting the recommended eight hours of sleep a night. 
um, and you do that seven days per week, you have 168 hours in the week. That's your allotted time. You know, it's actually pretty depressing when you start looking at how many hours you get in a lifetime and how quickly those are disappearing. And so you get 168 hours in a week. If you subtract 56 hours for sleep, 50 hours for professional work, you're already down to only having 62 hours left per week to do something with. And of course, there's going to be time spent commuting. There's going to be time that you need for meals, meal preparation. There's time needed for getting ready. And, and for some, we better add, there's time needed in the bathroom. Yeah, some of you camp out in there, amen. Then we consider time needed to spend with children, time needed for the spouse, time needed for daily and weekly chores, time for this, time for that. And the next thing you know, uh, we're, we're looking at this, realizing we don't have a great storehouse of time just sitting there to draw from. And I'm talking about responsible adults. I know there's some bums out there and they got time to waste. So therefore, we have to learn to redeem the time. Have you ever said you could make some time for something? Now, we know you don't make time, literally, but you mean you're going to shuffle some things around, you're going to redo your schedule, and you're going to make some time to fit something in, to spend time with someone or to speak to someone or to get a task done. To redeem means to purchase, and it's the idea of going to the open market in those days to purchase something, and really still certain parts of the country. I know where my parents live, there's still a lot of bartering that takes place, and, and that's what this is kind of the idea of, um, to deem an item worthy. And so you go, you see an item, and you deem that worthy to have. So you try to purchase it or maybe trade for it. And an exchange is made for what was deemed worthy, so it becomes redeemed. That's how our time is. Now, we have to look at our schedule every day, and if you're my wife, you're looking at it weeks in advance, which drives me insane, and I drive her insane because she's like, hey, what are you going to do Friday? I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I'm not even there to tomorrow yet, so don't ask me. Um, and so anyway, uh, opposites attract, praise God, and, and she drives me nuts with that stuff, but I'll tell you what, it's coming handy in the ministry now, because um, I just went over and asked her something. She's like, oh yeah, it's on this date, because I'm not thinking past tonight. Anyway, um, so we have to look at our schedule every day, determine what is worthy of our time. We have to deem what is important, and then we have to make the necessary arrangements to get that time. Are you with me? It may mean that we have to barter our sleep for some extra time. <laughs> it may mean we have to barter work hours for extra time and maybe not put in that overtime. Or we have to barter the time that we spend in our hobbies. Now, we're blessed to live in a day when it comes to redeeming the time, there's all kind of technology to help us. Modern technology has allowed time to be redeemed like never before. 
we are blessed to have this kind of technology to help us, but here's, uh, here's what I've learned. People are going to make time for what they find important. I had someone I was recently dealing with, and I asked if they were reading their Bibles. Let me rephrase that. I asked if they were reading their Bible. And they said, no, I don't like to read. So you do what's important to you. To them, reading the Bible wasn't important enough to get better reading skills and to spend the time doing that. By the way, none of us came out of the womb knowing how to read. It's something you have to learn. And you can learn to become a better reader. And every year there's going to be someone, can I just listen to it? Well, I'm not going to tell you not to. But you need to read it if you're able. Anyway... I'm about to get on a soapbox there. In our day, instead of using our time wisely through the use of technology, we've perfected wasting time because of technology. (laughs) Instead of using it in our advantage, um, we stay on our phones. Some of you have a hard time putting it down in church. It might as well be sewn to your hand. We'll waste time on the TV, on the internet, the gaming systems, or whatever you want to list. And while I understand our lives can be very busy, let's be honest, the average person will simply not make time for the things of God. Most people can go to bed earlier so that they can get up earlier to spend time with God. Instead of eight hours, get seven hours. Instead of seven hours, get six hours. God will give you the strength. Instead of working 60 hours in a week, work 50 or 40. Make the necessary lifestyle adjustments. Instead of watching the news for hours, watching the sports for hours, read the paper to check the scores in the news. Do something that will speed it up. Are you spending time with God every day? You could be. It's your choice on how you redeem the time. We haven't even gotten into redeeming the time to serve God I'm just talking about spending time with God. And in context here, this can mean redeeming the time so that we can walk circumspectly, so that we keep from having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Or it could also mean how we use our time in our attempts to reprove sin. Do you take advantage of work when the opportunity presents itself to speak to somebody about Christ? People say, well, you're on the clock to work. Yeah, right. Like you don't talk about the TV show and the sports and all the rest. Amen. I'm not going to get up here and, well, you better. Listen, if the Holy Spirit leads you to talk, talk. I've been reproved for it. So what? Life goes on. Commanders can write me all the LOCs or LORs they want. It's not going to change the fact. I'm going to give you the gospel. Well, that's bad counsel. I'll tell you this, the Lord will take care of you as you serve Him. Now, let me just quantify that. You don't have to walk in with the picket and, you know, uh, anyway. Take time as opportunity is presented is all I'm saying. Maybe you can have an extended lunch, even if that means less, less money. Maybe you could set up an appointment after work to talk. But we must learn to obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit's leading. If we feel the tug to witness, witness. It's not wasted time telling others about Christ. And we have to do these things because the end of verse 16 says, the days are evil. 
Who's going to do it if you don't? They need a faithful witness in their lives. People need the Lord. But if we don't take the time to redeem the time, then we'll end up looking no different than the world. And then our lives will have no impact on those around us. And so may we learn to walk circumspectly, redeem the time more and more. And uh, listen, we only have so much time in this life. Let's not waste it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for these passages that we've considered. Help us to be children of light, walking in the light, reproving the unfruitful works of darkness in a way that would be pleasing to you. And may we walk circumspectly and redeem the time. And just, uh, Lord, help us to reach the lost this week. And uh, keep us safe, please, as we go home. Um, uh, Some of the roads may still be icy, and so uh, may we keep our footing out here on the parking lot even. And uh, we look forward to meeting again Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.